welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. I'm Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and this is the Defender Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this best of episode of the, of the Defender podcast, um, originally aired on August 19, 2020. In this episode, we're going to be hearing from the McKinney family. Brian and Sarah McKinney adopted baby Jack from Bulgaria this year during the COVID pandemic. And we look forward to reliving the story again with the McKinneys of God's providence throughout their adoption and the way that God worked out Uh, their story for them to be able to bring baby Jack home in the midst of the difficulty of the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit about Bridge Educational Services. Bridge Educational Services was created by Lifeline to walk alongside parents as you help your children from hard places meet their educational potential. Um, Through personal consultations, cognitive developmental evaluations, personalized educational support, and then online and in-office tutoring. Bridge is built for your child and will be a support to you whether your child is homeschooled, doing online learning, or learning in a classroom setting. We'd love the opportunity to be able to come alongside your family and help with your educational needs. You can find out more about Bridge Educational Services at lifelinechild.org backslash bridge-educational-services. You can find more information there or that link is in our show notes. So without further ado, let's get on to the episode from August 19th, 2020, as we hear from the McKinney family, Brian and Sarah from Chattanooga, Tennessee, talking about their adoption of baby Jack from Bulgaria. Well, what a privilege to be joined today by Jana Lombardo, who is our Senior Program Director of International Programs, as well as Brianna Thomas, who is one of our uh, program leaders within our Lifeline Eurasia team, uh, specifically helping families through the Bulgaria process. And then a dear, sweet family, Brian and Sarah McKinney, who uh, hail from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, have just recently Uh, several weeks ago, returned from a trip at mid-COVID-19 to Bulgaria uh, to bring home uh, their little boy. And so we are so grateful to be joined here today to hear a little bit more about that trip to Bulgaria in the midst of a global pandemic. But first, Jana, will you just kind of give us an overview of what adoption from Eastern Europe looks like right now during this unprecedented time while we're going through a global pandemic? Yes, yes. Thank you, Herbie. Um, As a result of the pandemic, you know, kind of everything kicking off in March of this year, we began to, of course, immediately uh, communicate with our teams on the ground in the countries that we're working with in Eastern Europe. Um, While adoption slowed way, way down, I I don't want to say that it stopped because the things that could progress did progress further, but things slowed just almost uh, to a snail's pace because people were in quarantine just like we were here in the States. They couldn't get to their offices. They couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to the grocery store. And so it very much mimicked the way um, the United States began to respond with, with shutting things down. So 
So just kind of that overall picture is uh, very similar to what we experienced in the States. Things slowed way down, no court processes, no official meetings. Um, and, and this lasted, you know, about three and a half to four months. Um, and then we began to see some progress forward nearing the end of, of June of this year. Um, but I can't just say enough how well that we have been able to work with our teams on the ground in all of our Eastern Europe countries uh, to help families progress, you know, forward as, as best we can. Yeah, and, and Jen, I, I know that uh, whenever I think of Bulgaria, and, and I, I know you as well, my, my mind instantly goes to that, the Plevin orphanage mm -hmm. in Bulgaria, uh, the things that you and I have experienced and seen walking through those halls. Um, you know, we, we look around, but we don't hear a lot about how this global pandemic has affected Bulgaria. How would you say that on a specific level that for the people and the children that this pandemic has affected Bulgaria? So I would definitely would, would kind of along those lines comment that in regards to the orphanage settings like Plevin, um, the kids could not get to, you know, certain doctor's visits. Uh, the, the BABA program, which is the grandmother program that would come in and, and help the caregivers on a weekly basis, could not come in and, and help the caregivers. And so the, the minimal care that these children, you know, were receiving anyway, kind of decreased in, in, in the orphanage that is because they couldn't get some of the extra helps that they need needed. They couldn't um, get some of those extra assistances that they needed. And so there was still just that layer, kind of layer upon layer of just not having a lot of time for, for any of the children. Um, I do know that the caregivers and orphanage directors um, have done, you know, the best, best that they can. Um, and just generally, the level of care in the type of orphanage system in Bulgaria is minimal at best. So you can only imagine how much compounded that is um, when, when a pandemic is, is going on. Mm. Brianna, obviously, you're, you're working with families and, and very uh, comfortable and knowledgeable about just the process in general in Bulgaria. Uh, you've literally grown up around adoption from Eastern Europe and have worked in it now for several years. Uh, talk to us about how that Bulgaria process has been impacted as far as adoption uh, in Bulgaria because of COVID-19. Yeah, I would say things, like Jana said, went to a snail's pace from about March to June. Um, and when we kind of hit that June mark, all during that time, FNA had been communicating with the Ministry of Justice, with the Minister of Health, with the U.S. Embassy, and they all worked together as a team trying to find ways, creative ways for our families to be able to travel. Um, and so during all of that, looking at the restrictions that were in place in Bulgaria at the time, um, they were able to kind of find a way for our families to travel who had previously been matched, previously had court decrees, um, and previously been officially matched with their children in Bulgaria. And so just recently, over the last month and month and a half, we've had families be able to travel, 
We've seen families be able to meet their children virtually for trip one because these families aren't officially matched with their kiddos yet. They are not able to travel. Um, and so we've been able to do those virtual visits with families. Um, FNA has researched quarantine requirements, the quarantine portion of families when they get to country, they are having to quarantine for 14 days. Um, but we just this last week have found out that if families arrive with a certain type of COVID test, um, they don't have to quarantine. So FNA has done a great job. The people on the ground in Bulgaria have done a great job, the officials, finding ways to keep families processes continuing for the best interest of the children, um, knowing that ultimately we want those kiddos to be reunited with their families and those kiddos to be able to come home. Yeah, and that's that's a great thing is that we know that FNA and we know that Bulgaria is working especially to make sure that these children find permanents and find families uh, and, are, and are doing everything they can during this unprecedented time to make that possible. So, you know, Brian and Sarah, I, I segue to you guys because, you know, you traveled in the midst of this pandemic. But, but when I think about it, uh, you guys have seven children. Uh, two of your children have entered into your home through adoption. So adoption was not necessarily a foreign thing when you entered into this process. Uh, and, and as we always say, expect the unexpected in the adoption process <laughs> Certainly, you didn't expect a global pandemic when you decided, hey, we're going to adopt a child from Bulgaria. That is certainly true that uh, we, yeah, we've always been told and Lifeline has been amazing about this from the beginning to expect the unexpected. And, and we thought we were prepared for anything that the world could throw at us. But then the entire world shut down. In fact, uh, I think it was three <coughs> days after our court decree. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like court decree, we're so pumped. Where did we put the luggage? You know, let's let's start and then just the entire world shuts down. And so we, yeah, it was certainly unexpected. And just even backing up a bit, you know, and and, and I, your child, um, the, or the child even before you knew you were pursuing a child that uh, that had Down syndrome. Uh, mm -hmm. And and that's a that's a unique process in general. Um, and obviously, we know that individuals with Down syndrome are so precious. Um, mm -hmm. Their lives are precious. Everything about them is precious. I have so many dear friends with children uh, with Down syndrome, and 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 there's just an innocence there. But there's also difficulty with medical needs and and other yeah. needs as well. Uh, so, Sarah, as a mama already with six kids. Talk to us about the process of how you guys go, yeah, we're ready to bring home a child with Down syndrome. Well, you know what's sweet about that is if I went into the long story of it, I can genuinely see the hand of the Lord um, moving me toward that since I was a child. Mm -hmm. But as um, one of our children was born with some special needs and no doctors could really identify why, he had some of the needs he had. And so that kind of threw us into the world of um, weekly therapies and, and all of the specialists and the doctors and the um, extra nutritional care that a child like that might need. So as the years progressed on and the Lord kept returning to my heart, this love, I, I, a genuine love that I would feel if I was ever in the presence um, <clears> of, <throat> of an individual with Down syndrome, I just, it was like an overflowing of joy would just come from out of my heart. And I know that was the Holy Spirit. Um, but it started becoming apparent that 
the Lord was then asking me to pursue praying about it. So I, uh, we've, it was a, a couple years of praying through Lord. Is this something that is of you that is on my heart? And then watching the world kind of begin to um, discuss down syndrome, but in a way that was looking at these people as a burden you know, and there was a specific country that said, hey, great, we've eradicated Down syndrome from our society. And my heart just broke. Um, and I think the Lord just used many different things to say, this is what I have for you. I, I, I would like to invite you into this. Um, do you want to join me? And um, thankfully, because of our, our son who was born with so many different special needs, a lot of the fears that might come with adopting a child with special needs, mm. they were they were pretty much gone because we were like, we are equipped and we know what resources we have. And um, yeah, so I mean, it was really, it became just a, a matter of obedience in this last year uh, rather than a, a praying anymore. It was like, okay, Lord, this is what you've called us to and you've prepared us. So help us to take that first step. And then that's where Lifeline entered the picture. Well, I love what you say. You know, there are so many countries and unfortunately, even in the United States where uh, people look now and we're using abortion, uh, not mm -hmm. just as birth control, but now as selection uh, and being around and even having children in our own home with learning differences and, uh, you know, different being around friends with children with Turner syndrome or down syndrome or Asperger's you see a part right. of the character of Christ in these children yes. because where they may have limitations you know God our father has given them so many beautiful gifts that show us about his character but I also know Brian I'm thinking you know you're leading your family into this process of adopting a child with down syndrome just like you said you get your court order you're excited but once that happens, right, the dad in you already feels protective of a child yeah. that is on the other side of the earth. And then lo and behold, here comes a global pandemic. Talk about what happens in that protective moment of knowing I have a child that I'm now called to protect that I can't get to. What does that feel like? Yeah, that was um, just, you know, there's nothing that can prepare you for that because you can't say, oh, it's like this but more so it's just, it's its own experience. And um, it's kind of like, well, it, I mean, there was a realization and, and part of it is the Lord's work. You know, it wasn't just a court decree um, though. There was a legal process there, but the Lord had uh, done a work in our hearts before that as a family. And so now I'm looking on saying, I have a son that I am called to and I can't get to him. And that was confusing and that was difficult. And then um, really it, it just, it, it came down to how much can I trust God in this? How much do I trust God in this? And there was a book that I had read years ago and I reread during this process. I think Sarah read it as well. And it's called uh, Red Sea Rules by Robert J. Morgan. And there was a line in that and we actually put it on a letter board um, next to a picture of Jack in our living room. And it said, the same God who led you in will lead you out. Mm. And that was just something we came back to again and again of just saying, Lord, we, you didn't lead us into this by mistake. Uh, you didn't, 
um, you know, it, your promises are not vague, you know, and, and uh, we really had to do a lot of, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of clinging to that. Uh, and, and like you said, that father heart, I know for mm-hmm. Sarah, the mother heart, you know, you're, you're wrestling with this thing mm-hmm. of like, Hey, I'm, I'm now called to protect. I'm called to <laughs> be a father. And, and how can I do that in this? And, and really the answer was by leaning in to our father. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I love, I love the imagery of that. Cause you know, a lot of times we love the miracle of the red sea and the parting of the sea. Uh, but I've, I've often, even when I've talked through that passage with students before, I remind them that at some point they were in the middle of the Red Sea, right? And they didn't see the miracle because that took faith to step into the Red Sea. You had Mm -hmm. Pharaoh's army behind you that was ready to kill you. And then you have to step into a sea and water is on either side. That is a frightening time to be in. And the only thing you can do is trust the Lord. So, so Sarah, talk about, because you've got that nurturing heart. God had given you already six children that you're nurturing in the home. And you've got this idea that your seventh child, again, it, it feels like he's further away than he was when you first begun. Talk about not only how you found encouragement, but also how you nurtured your children through this time. Oh, right. It was, <clears throat> it was probably the most torturous experience I, I think I've ever walked through as a mother um, and as a daughter of the Lord. I mean, just needing him almost on a moment by moment basis. And some of the things that really got me through, um, with Brian and I make it a priority to be in God's word every single day. Um, I mean, it is our daily bread, but it's like our daily, it's our daily meal, but I was just eating it up. I just needed the Lord so desperately. And I, I, I know God intended for that to happen in me to crave him like that. Um, so that I could see that I actually need him like that without a pandemic, honestly. Mm. Um, so I had that, but then I had a really sweet community of other lifeline moms and we talked with each other just about every day, um, encouraged one another, wept with one another, rejoiced with one another. And just knowing that I kind of was linked arm in arm with these people who are in the same battle as me, it, it mm. was it was so encouraging and it, it really strengthened me. And I know um, I'm going to forget the name of the book now, but I, Brian might be able to remind me, but there was a book written by another lifeline mother that had been given to me by um, a mother at our church who did not, she did not realize the connection that this was a lifeline family that had written this book. Um, <clears throat> but Brian, do you remember the name of it? Bringing is it 30 Days of Hope by Jennifer so, Phillips? It is Jennifer Phillips, but it's the book she wrote about her adoption of her daughter. Bringing Lucy home. Yeah. That's Thank it. you. Yes. <laughs> Bringing Lucy home. I I remember when it was first given to me, I was actually kind of mad because this was before COVID. And I thought, no, Lord, <laughs> no, do not make me need to read this book. I will not read it. And I did. I refused to read it <laughs> until COVID hit. And I was like, okay. I will read this book that you obviously planted in my hands to help prepare me. And that, that book in and of itself was a huge encouragement. Um, And having to walk through it with our children, I look back now, obviously, and I'm like, wow, what a sweet time Mm. to be able to anytime our kids were sad about, they just called him baby Jack. 
And they just knew the pictures they had of him because they didn't come on trip one with us. And to be able to stop and say, we can pray right now. Mm-hmm. And their sweet childlike faith, our four-year-old would almost end every meal prayer with, mm-hmm. and Lord, bring baby Jack home. And it wasn't, my prayers were like grieving and, and being mm-hmm. upset and almost distrusting and like, God, where are you? And why aren't you moving? And what is happening? And then I have my four-year-old <clears throat> who just simply sits there and says, okay, and Father, bring home baby Jack with just mm-hmm. such trust and faith. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you told me I could ask him. Of course I'll ask him. So I don't know if I was more of an encouragement to my children or if my children were more of an encouragement to me, but you know, they did mourn and they did grieve, especially the older ones, not understanding um, the deeper parts of a global pandemic Mm. and just knowing that they were missing their sibling. Mm. Well, and the truth is the Lord ended up answering your four year old's prayer because what we thought would be impossible became possible mm-hmm. when Bulgaria invited you and, and really to be pilot couple, pilot mm-hmm. families to try this whole idea of quarantining, quarantining in Bulgaria uh, in order to go ahead and bring home baby Jack. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what, what were the emotions that went through your head when you found out, okay, there's the possibility we could go and pilot this during the middle of a global pandemic. Talk about even the, the thoughts of, yes, there's that, oh, of course we're going, right? There's, yeah. there's never a thought that we're not going, but even the process <laughs> of international travel during a global pandemic and mm-hmm. all the unknowns, talk about just the, the emotions and the feelings and, and kind of what that process looked like. Yeah, when, we've, when we heard that this was an option, we had we tried to get away with our kids for a little bit because we were, you know, we'd just been in the midst of this. And I was with uh, our older kids while Sarah was, you know, during nap time with the younger ones. And my son had my phone and he handed it back to me. And there was a text from Sarah and just in all caps, it said, get back here right now. And I thought, Oh no, what happened? And then I opened the text and the rest of it said, because we need to buy plane tickets. So I, I thought, Oh, Oh my goodness. And so we, we ran back and it was just this, overwhelming feeling of first of all relief and excitement but then wow what's this going to look like um you know this is this is an unknown but really i think just all the things sarah's been talking about of of hearing the prayers of faith of our children and walking this path with others you know in our, our church um Calvary Chapel in Chattanooga, one of the things we, that's really part of our vision is surrounding ourselves with godly community. And that's something that is important to us as a family. And so when there was like this kind of this green light, it was, you know what, Lord, this, this green light is not a mistake, just like nothing along the way has been a mistake. And so I think it was fairly easy for us to step forward in that. Uh, And it was a whirlwind, but really it was once we got on that first plane, I remember I sat down and just suddenly there were, there were tears in my eyes and I thought, okay, what do we do now? Like what we, we made it here. We got on the plane. What, what happens now? And um, it was definitely an, an adventure for sure. And then you get off in Bulgaria to a 14 day quarantine uh, in a single hotel room. Sarah, well, what in the world? Well, 
<laughs> there was such a mixture of, thank God we're here. You know, you're hearing the Bulgarian language again. You're seeing the people. You're recognizing the sights in the street as you pass them by in your cab. And you know you won't see them again for 14 days. And we crossed the threshold into our hotel room. And um, it was truly a mixture of absolute terror of what have we done? Are we going Are we going to be mentally okay when we leave this room in 14 days that with windows that don't open? Um, <clears throat> to absolute joy of recognizing the reason that we were there. And honestly, like for me, you know, like you said, we have, we had six children at home. So there was for this mom of six, there was part of me that was like, Lord, thank you for this really sweet reprieve. I'm just going to be in your word every day. I'm going to work out. I'm just going to revel in this time that you've given me as a gift of like prep, preparation for Jack and preparation for adding a seventh child. And then there was the other part of me that was like, Oh my goodness, I can't kiss or hug or smell my babies for like, what more than 14 days for them. Um, it was a really unique experience, but I will say we could have chosen to have looked at it in a negative light. Mm. And it would have been a very long, dark 14 days. But I, for the most part, we were able to choose to see that the Lord had chosen that time for us, for a specific reason. And it, along with everything else he'd done, that quarantine also was not a mistake. That mm. quarantine was a gift from him. And so I would encourage any other families that are going to be required to quarantine, like just soak it up for all that it is. Use it. Like do not waste that quarantine because God can do amazing things in it and through it. Um, we were able to share the gospel mm. with our house, the cleaner that came into our room every other day to make our bed. Uh, we were able to even be a blessing when our orders would come in very wrong or uh, the Starbucks cups would have spilled and they were half full. But we were able with joy to still receive our order and offer a tip to these people just to quite literally be a different light to them and perhaps create relationship um, that maybe it would be another believer later on down the road and they'd be like, you are very similar to this weird American couple that I <laughs> delivered food to for two weeks. I mean, we, use it. God has you there for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, use it. Mm. Yeah. I, I think uh, if John Piper doesn't take it, someone else has the opportunity to say, don't waste your quarantine or don't waste coronavirus. <laughs> uh, there certainly have been lots of opportunities. And, and even as, even as a dad and, with my sweet wife, we've been encouraging our kids that the Lord has given us this unprecedented time together um, with changing the way things are and can canceling activities. And, you know, we can either uh, we can either be sad and mad or we can be joyful and utilize it to the fullest. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things, Brian, I, I'd love to for you to talk to, you know, one of the things I know, even a couple of weeks ago, my son was in a ATV accident and I happened to be with him right before he was going into surgery. And as a family, we've been memorizing Philippians four, 
and uh, we we got to the Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, by prayer and supplication. And then we hung on that with thanksgiving. And even as my son is sitting there with two arms casted up and about to go into surgery, we started going through all the things that we were thankful for, uh, even even during this ATV accident. Your process was not at all what you expected from the beginning. And, and in some ways, you wouldn't sign up for it again. But what would you say are the things that the Lord taught you to be thankful for during this journey and process? That's a great question. Um, I, so I... So I work in full-time ministry and I think that a whole lot, I think I realized that even especially with, you know, the pandemic, the way that our ministry had changed as a church and as the communication director of, you know, it, it was, it was a lot of output. It was just kind of constant output. And so suddenly I was, well, even just in the quarantine, suddenly there was no more output. Mm. I, I was, we were in a hotel room. And we were there. And the, the, so one of the things the Lord really taught me during that time is um, you need to be able to be still mm. and be and receive. Mm. And uh, that was really helpful for me. And so I, that spurred kind of just a reminder of like, and, and, and think back to, to what you can be grateful for. Think back to the prayer time you've had with your kids. Think back to the steps in faith they've been able to take through this. Think back to the way you've seen me answer prayers and the, and what has strengthened by you waiting for the prayers to answer. Think back to the times that, you know, for Sarah and me, we had to wrestle through the waiting together. Hmm. And there's been a lot of times in our life. And Sarah has said this before different seasons. And she'll say, I would never want to walk through it again, but I'm so thankful we did. And mm -hmm. it seems like every great advance, every great growth, a season of growth in our life is connected with the season of difficulty. Mm -hmm. And so looking back now, um, I, I, I can be much more grateful for that and, and look at just the ways that our family has grown and really gotten to a way of, of thriving in a new way because of that. Mm, amen. Well, Sarah, let's round it out. So you're out of 14 days of quarantine. Mm -hmm. You've waited all of this time. It's been elongated because of a global pandemic. And now, truly, your four-year-old's prayer request <laughs> and baby Jack comes into your arms, which means he's home. What were the emotions in that moment? of going through all of these hurdles and all of these obstacles, 14 days of wait, and to finally, in a sense, be released to go bring home your child. Oh, wow. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, we were back at the same hotel that we were in when we met him, <clears throat> got to have the same breakfast, and got to take the same car ride to the social services office. So in a way, it I truly experienced the Lord uh, returning to us what felt had been stolen or taken. Um, one of the one of the first things I experienced seeing Jack, uh, he was be, he was in his foster mother's arms, and as she walked towards me, she began to sob, and then I began to sob, and then we just held each other. I, I can't 
without completely losing my emotions and starting to cry, I really can't describe the absolute holiness of a moment of one person who chose to sacrificially love your child, knowing that their heart would be broken as they released him into your arms and, and being a witness of that moment. It made the, um, you made the entire process of waiting for Jack just honestly all that more holy. Cause I realized there was something happening there that it wasn't just, I'm adopting a child from another country and here's my child. <clears throat> there was a sweetness of seeing the gospel lived out in a woman that herself doesn't really know the Lord, doesn't, doesn't have a walk with Jesus. And um, we were able to share the gospel with her and leave her and her, her biological child with um, some Bibles and just some gifts of love. But then to drive away with him, and just to look into his eyes and recognize that he doesn't really know what's going on, but to slowly watch him recognize Brian and I, um, he was, it was, it was absolutely miraculous. Honestly, it was absolutely miraculous. I feel like we're still living in that miraculous because we went from um, loving the idea of this little boy that we'd only spent five days with. And we held on to these pictures of him and there's this idea of who he is. And now from that moment on, from July 6th onward, we have been falling in love with Jack, the little boy that God created for us mm -hmm. and planned for us from the foundations of the world and getting to understand all the colors and the depths of who he is, um, that he's, he's absolutely happy and sweet and he is moody and he can he can throw shade and he has attitude and all of these sweet things that are so much more than a two-dimensional picture um but to have god answer that prayer i i i i wish i had adequate words for it but i i don't yet because i'm still living in the realization that that prayer and that time has been answered i am i am in the midst of worshiping mm. this um, incredible thing of watching God turn that sea into a highway. I am, I am watching the words that he spoke over me several years ago from Isaiah 49. You know, you'll say the children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, there's this place is too cramped for me. Make more room that I may live here. And it says, and foster mothers and foster fathers mm. will put your children in your arms. I, God spoke that verse about six or seven years ago through Brian to me. Mm. And I'm, I'm living now in its fulfillment. And wow, I, it must be the way the children of Israel felt entering the promised mm. land mm. of it's just beginning. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I just want to echo that. I, the idea of something just beginning I think that there was a thought that, well, once, and, and even, you know, I'd go to church and we got home and people would say, well, happily ever after, how, you know, this is everything. And it's like, oh no, this is the starting line. This is not, <laughs> this is not the finish line. But I think one thing that both of us have seen so clearly in this is not only the picture of our family, you know, uh, 
being continual, continually formed, but also just, I, I guarantee you, I have seen the gospel in a fresh way. And I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I think we can overemphasize the idea of, you know, there's a lot of pictures of our, in the Bible of our relationship with God. There's the shepherd and the sheep. There's a, the idea of a marriage. But I think that the idea of an adoption is just so incredibly powerful. And, you know, in, in Galatians 4, we read about uh, not no longer a, a, a slave or a servant, but sonship. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that recently because the goal was never to bring Jack to America. The goal right. was never to bring Jack to a new place to live. The goal was to make him a son and he's actually been given a new birth certificate with a new name that lists Sarah and myself as his parents. And so there is sonship. He is now a co-heir with all of our children. He has full legal rights as my son. And that just has reminded me that, you know, that the gospel is so much more than just, you know, I, I screwed up, but God said it was okay. No, no, no. We are, we are sons and daughters of the king. And the reason it says sons is because it's it's not a sexist language. It's sons because in that culture, the son had the full share of inheritance. And so Mm -hmm. seeing that in a fresh way has been pretty incredible to me. And just, um, just reminded me of the beauty of, you know, why, why would anyone do this? We love because we were first loved. Wow. What an incredible picture of God's grace and goodness, both to your family and through your family. Um, And just to see the way that the Lord orchestrated all of this amidst a global pandemic. And Jana, just as I think of the McKinney story, it's a reminder that even in tough times and unprecedented times, like we're going through, number one, uh, the Lord is still working mightily never mm-hmm. stops. You know, we as people, we look at the finite and we, we think we can determine, you know, if the Lord is working or not. He's always working. Mm-hmm. Um, we just sometimes don't realize it. Uh, but he's working powerfully right now through so many adoption stories. How would you encourage families that it's still a good time to provide a home for a child in need from Eastern Europe or from around the world? Yeah, so so Herbie, I I'm just you know in awe of um, the way that we have seen the Lord work throughout this pandemic, and I often refer to families I have worked with over these many years as my heroes, and and Brian and Sarah are are definitely heroes to me, but I also know that while we have heard such a beautiful story of bringing Jack home and he is a son and Brian you said that so beautifully there are still so many children that need that sonship Mm -hmm. there are so many children whether they're in a foster home in Bulgaria or Hungary or Poland or Kyrgyzstan or or China or uh, Colombia even in all of our countries or they're in an orphanage in an institution in those places these children so desperately need permanency. And I just love it, Brian. I may even start just referring to it. They need sonship. Mm. They truly need sonship. And and we can say permanency because the reality is that these these folks on the other sides of the world and orphanages and institutions, 
they play a role in these children's life, but it's not a role of sonship and it's not a role of permanency. And so there are many, many children like Jack uh, that may have Down syndrome in all of our countries that, that need a permanent home. Uh, others, other medical special needs, other developmental uh, special needs, uh, oh, sibling groups that need mamas and daddies. Um, older children, 10, 11, and 12 year old, those preteen years that need love and guidance um, and need mamas and daddies to, to, for the most important thing to share with them about Jesus, mm. to bring them into their home, to bring them to be sons and daughters. And um, that need is there. That hasn't gone away. So like here in the U.S., I, we have heard statistics. You've read stories. Foster care is just at its capacity in many of our states. So you can imagine in other countries as well, as a result of COVID, families not being able, they've lost their jobs. They've not been able to care for their children. Their children have had to go into an orphanage or an institution or foster care. Um, hopefully some of these children maybe can have some sort of family preservation, but the reality is that most likely that that won't happen. And so we desperately need other moms and dads to, to have this call in their lives, like Brian and Sarah shared, to, to be able to, to go outside of their comfort zone, to go outside of the norm, uh, and, and to, to begin the hard journey, I'm going to say the hard journey of the happily ever after. Um, and so I just would encourage, uh, I would just encourage families just to really begin to just get on their knees and just to pray that if this is something that's that's the Lord has been pricking your heart to follow through, you know, countries are opening slowly, things are moving slowly, and the number of children is still there, and it has grown, you know, as a result of this pandemic. So I would just encourage families to um, begin just to seek those things out. Call us, talk to us. Um, we'll let you talk to the McKinney's, you know, we'll get you hooked up. But um, it's just it's just still such a such a true need. And Jenna, if I can piggyback on that for just a second, I want to say something that um, the truth is that Sarah, in both of our adoptions, Sarah was always, you know, she was more the gas pedal and I was the brake pedal. And I think that's very common in most yes. marriage relationships with a big decision. But I do want to share for someone listening who is considering this, I, I the, the, the reasoning I had, the excuse I had was, well, my hesitancy is not going to keep God from accomplishing what he wants to do. And you know what? He, God cares about these kids and he's going to put them in homes. And, you know, maybe when I'm ready, maybe later, maybe this, maybe that. And what I was convicted by uh, was a quote. And I believe it was Levi Lesko in the book, Through the Eyes of a Lion. I could be wrong. But the quote was something along the lines of, yes, God will accomplish what he you know, we're not going to stop God from doing what he, he wants to do. But our ability to play a part in that is only going to be there if we're willing. And so there is an expiration date on your potential to play a part in the story that God's telling. And that really challenged me and said, yeah, God's going to do this. But if I want to be a part of this, if I want to answer the call he's put on my life, the time is now. So I just want to encourage families that are yeah. there listening. Absolutely. Well, Brianna, as we, as we close, 
tell us how we can specifically be praying for the children of Bulgaria and just for the people of Bulgaria uh, as we are praying through the nations and, and praying for children, vulnerable children around the world. Specifically, how can we focus in on Bulgaria? Yeah, I think waiting is hard, but being an orphan is harder. And so with the Roma people group in Bulgaria being discriminated against, just people pray for those people and those children, just for the country as itself to see the value of children, um, and just Bulgaria as a whole continue to pray for their economy and how it's been affected, how jobs have been lost, um, and just praying for the people that we work with in Bulgaria, the officials, our team, FNA, all the people that are working together, advocating for these families, for these children, and for the best interests of children. Um, you know, Bulgaria, it's a beautiful place and it's a beautiful country, and we have wonderful families in our Bulgaria program. And so just seeing the value of children within the country, specifically the Roma people group, as they are highly discriminated against, um, and just, you know, the country as a whole and every, every aspect of it. Well, friends, we're so grateful for each and every one of you and for joining us today. McKinney's, you are in our prayers and have continued to be in our prayers. And we know that your journey has just begun as baby Jack comes into your home and integrates into your home. And as Jana and Brianna and Brian and Sarah as well have said, there are children around the world in need. And if there's anything that we can do to help your family through that process, pray through that process, think through that process, or get started in that process, we would be anxious to do so. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Podcast. We hope to see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. <music>